Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Wednesday Pulis to my Stoke Pulis. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, it's New Year's Eve. How exciting we can finally put this absolute trough of a year behind us and get on with, hopefully, a much more exciting 2021. Was that a question or just you were just throwing it at me? I was just making the point that it has been a horrible year. Let's just completely forget about it. It did occur to me a bit earlier that this is actually our first full calendar year as a podcast. We've only been doing this since, uh, what, July 2019. 2019. So this has been our first calendar year. What a great calendar year to start with, Justin. (laughs) Welcome to the world of podcasting. Here's a a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And I think I I speak for everyone when I say it's been a tough year for the whole of the United Kingdom, but it's been tougher for podcasters. (laughs) 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 Justin, because it is New Year's Eve, we have decided we are going to celebrate welcoming of the new year by having a beer on the show so oh, yes are we uh, gonna open the mail let's just hang on try this let's open it so people can actually there we go Ooh, spill a bit, a bit. Oh, no. but the bottle opener's not gonna it's not playing ball here just just smash it open you'll be right there we go for authenticity there we go cheers to you justin cheers to you listener hopefully we'll have a much more <laughs> enjoyable 2021 <laughs> oh that's good well, we'll have to kick off, Justin, with uh, the big news from this past week, and that is that Tony Pulis is well and truly gone from Wednesday. I'm not particularly surprised, but I'm also surprised because he's only been there for 45 days, so it's surprising <laughs> in that sense, but it's been <laughs> a pretty terrible 45 days, hasn't it? It has, and I think Dan Fudge, um, somebody up uh, on last week's podcast, is you know, he's becoming disassociated with football because of it, and that's what that's what Pulis Ball brings brings for supporters. It's not it's not the best. It sometimes gets results, but it's it hasn't in this case. And when it doesn't work, it's not only is it terrible, but it's also catastrophic in terms of where Wednesday are at the moment. It definitely is one win in eight. I think it is off the top of my head. Yeah, but uh, I've come out of this thinking. Well, in two two things, really, that, sure, Pulis has done a terrible job. The football was awful and the results weren't going their way. But the fact that the Wednesday ownership weren't paying the players their full wages in the month of November, and I don't think it's happening, according to reports today, in December either. As a manager, you look at that and you think, well, I've been dealt a pretty tough hands because the players aren't going to be motivated if they're not being played, are they? There is that, and I think as well, there is the reason why Pulis Board didn't quite work is because getting teams organised the way he likes to get them organised, it takes time, it takes longer periods between games. Pulis wouldn't have had time to A, prepare for individual teams, coming up against individual teams, and B, getting his style across in depth. And you couple that with the hand he's been dealt, you know, 45 days just isn't enough time to, to get everything across and then when players aren't getting paid as well you know what's the point it's as simple as that what's the point um but you know that being said the football has been bad they've picked up fewer points per game than they did under gary monk so there is a bit of you know credence there to getting rid i guess 
I, I can see what you mean, but at the same time, Tony Pulis needs his kind of players, doesn't he? And we all know what kind of players we're talking about. <laughs> Six foot three shithouses. And they just don't have that. The squad was threadbare as it was. Yeah. It's hard to say that many other managers could have done much better, really. Uh, from what reports are saying, one of the big sticking points was targets in January, because we are obviously coming up to January, and Pulis, if he wanted... If Wednesday would stay up, then he would have wanted a certain set of players to bring in, wouldn't he? And mm-hmm. it seems like the board weren't willing to fund that. It's just a, a mishmash of inadequacy, incompetence and lack of uh, clear vision going forwards. Because since probably Carver Howell's second season, they've just thrown money at it. It's not worked. They've kept throwing money at it. It's still not worked. And they're in this position now that they're in because of that. Yeah, it's, it's completely irresponsible from the ownership. They've, well, with the points deduction as well, it's just one thing after another, isn't it? Uh, and now we ask the question, who's going to be taking the unenviable hot seats at Wednesday? Gus Poirier is the current favourite. Thorsten Fink, I don't have a clue who that is. And Jose Moraes is the other name that's been mentioned. Gus Poirier, I would actually be a bit of a fan of because... He did a fantastic job at Brighton, didn't he? And then mm-hmm. he was at Sunderland afterwards, which didn't exactly go to plan. But I've always thought if he came back to a championship team, he would actually do a relatively decent job. But in the circumstances, I wouldn't exactly thank you for it if I was Gus Poyo. No, it's again, I don't think it's a bad appointment. Again, he's a, he's a manager who I think has got a fairly bad rap for some reasons that I don't quite fully know why. He started mean. football's fairly tepid but it's better than Pulis ball so I think that you either go down the route where you get a manager who plays better football than Pulis and might not get results or you get someone who similar to Pulis is defensive and gets results it's just they're in a weird position at the moment a really strange position if the owners want to stay up then they've got to back whoever comes in haven't they and I just can't see that happening so I don't know why any manager would take that job unless they are incredibly desperate. Uh, But let's talk about the game that Wednesday had on Tuesday night when they picked up a surprising 2-1 win over Middlesbrough. It's one of them, isn't it, where manager's been sacked and then the players start performing. (laughs) It's weird, but there's usually a sense of, oh, the manager wasn't exactly clicking with the players. And then as soon as he's gone, the players start turning up. But at the same time, with everything that we've just mentioned, with them not being paid then I, I don't really know where this result has come from, really. Yeah, and I think that's certainly the case here, isn't it? You've got you've got a group of players who are used to playing a certain way under Gary Monk, and they almost went back to that. You know, they went went to they went back to a three at the back, looked a bit more solid uh, at times. You know, Borough did have a lot of chances, which we'll get onto in a moment. Um, but they looked a bit more of a threat going forward. <laughs> they got two goals, which. When did that last happen? <laughs> um, so yeah, they certainly looked better in certain spells, but on the balance of the game, there's still a lot of work to do because Borough, had they been a bit more efficient in front of goal, would have won this. Not the first time I've said that about Borough no. either, is it? The thing is, other teams around the bottom have been picking up points. Wickham also won, Derby won. So this was a much-needed three points. Otherwise, they'd have been in a bit of a pickle when it Mm -hmm. comes to looking at the table I mean they're still in a bit of a pickle anyway but uh, I digress Uh, for Middlesbrough it it is the same story isn't it that they had chances and not put them away yeah they had 14 shots in the box you know had had they put 
chances away, it'd, it'd have been a completely different game. And as well as that, the defending for both the goals from Wednesday was really poor. The first one for Josh Windass, it's a, I wouldn't say a hopeful ball, it's a measured ball in, but Josh Windass has got in behind the defence far too easily. And then uh, the second goal, again, it's just it was just too easy and too weak from um, a Neil Warnock side that has been fairly good defensively this season. Yeah, definitely. It's not something you expect from a Warnock side, but they do have a tendency to leak dodgy goals every so often. But yeah. nonetheless, they're still ninth in the table and four points off the playoffs. Let's move on, Justin, and we'll talk about a massive game at the top of the championship between Brentford and Bournemouth. It finished 2-1 to the Bees, thanks to a late goal from Tariq Fossu. The main takeaway I had from this game was the standard of football was phenomenal it was like watching two Premier League sides and I said on Twitter I do see these two as a step above the rest of the championship when it comes to pure quality at both ends of the pitch they both have philosophies don't they they both have strict philosophies that they stick to in terms of players that they bring in um, you know tactics and how they set up and they both love to play good football and attack which is a recipe a great recipe for a neutral because watching that game it was it was superb, you know. I thought in the first few minutes, especially, I thought Bournemouth were going to run away with it. Brentford mm. got back into the game, and then Bournemouth had spells, and Brentford had spells. It was such a good game, and as as you say, it was much better than Burnley Newcastle, for example, in the Premier League. That's yeah, you know, it's it, it, that's why Championship football is so so valuable is because you get teams like this. You know, Brentford haven't been in the Premier League before. Bournemouth have, okay, but you get a team like Brentford playing like that. It tells you how good the the standard is at times in the Championship. Yeah, it was a great advert for the championship, wasn't it? There were loads of chances for either side and it wasn't, you know, defensive mistakes that the chances came from. It was usually unbelievable bits of quality. The Tariq Fosu goal, for example, Embremo's cross was amazing. It was on his weaker foot and he's managed to put it on a plate for Fosu at the back post and then uh, the cross, I can't remember who put it in for Solanke's goal for Bournemouth, was also sensational. It was just a great, great game of football and Brentford now look like the team to beat suddenly, top of the form table unbeaten in 15, now second they are looking like the real deal aren't they? They are, they are they're getting better and you've got players like Matthias Jensen who have been fairly quiet for a large portion of this season and in the last couple of games he's been a different animal and he's certainly getting back to his best, he's, he's a good player to have in the midfield to shuttle the ball forward and make defence cutting passes uh, and create chances for his teammates because, again, they've relied on Ivan Tony a lot. He's not scored in the last two games, but what else has happened? Other players have stepped up. Other players have stepped up in the pattern of play going forward, and other players have stepped up in, in putting those chances away. You know, Fossil was at the back post for that. You know, it, it's, it's so important that those players are getting involved in the attack because that's the one thing that, especially in the first probably six to eight games, let Brentford down. And it's something I was concerned about when Ivan Tony was going on this ridiculous scoring run where he, I think he only had three games where he didn't score. My question was, who was going to step up and score those goals? Because no one else was really doing it. But now we're starting to see uh, the other Brentford players really chip in uh, going forwards. And Ivan Tony not necessarily putting uh, the ball in the back of net, but he's still playing well, isn't he? So, yeah. Uh, Great game. Really enjoyed watching this. Norwich are still top, though, despite drawing one all with QPR. Considering both teams are at different ends of the form table, it was a very competitive game, wasn't it? QPR put in a much better performance than what we've seen recently. 
it was much more resolute than, as you say, that, than, than what we've seen. They've, they've, they're a team that um, have leaked so many easy, easily defendable goals um, of late, and it's one of the reasons why we said last week that Warburton's position is, is getting to a point where it's untenable. Like, you know, he's going to have to leave at some point. But you know, this is a this is a performance that you know they should build on, and, and from Norwich's perspective, they just lack quality in the final third. Again, similar to Borough. You know, they put chances away. They had 23 shots altogether, nine shots on target. They, they, they peppered QPR at times, but just didn't have the, the cutting edge to, to get the second goal. Yeah, and, they could, and QPR could have won it right at the end with a brighter say Samuel, mm-hmm. who missed a golden opportunity that you'd really expect him to put away. But he was fantastic in this game, I thought. And it, it's interesting with him, isn't it? Because he has had this contract situation that's really had an effect on how QPR have been doing this season because he's been well he was the one who I was expecting to really step up and fill in for the likes of Ibrary Easy uh, Naki Wells and he has done at times but in other games he's been a bit out of form and I imagine he'll be one of the numerous players in the championship who we could potentially see leave in January because of that contract situation here's a question for you do you think he should go? I've put it in my notes that if I'm any team in the championship, I'd be throwing money at him. It's best for all parties, isn't it? That Bright say Samuel leaves QPR. Yeah, QPR get money rather than leaving than him leaving on a free at the end of the season. And Bright say Samuel can potentially play in a team that I won't say plays to his strengths because QPR do play to their strengths. But I know you said that he's been poor at times this season, but QPR have been poor at times, so you can't expect you know players to to, to bail teams out all the time and it's unfair for that that burden to be put on individuals so him being in a team where others step up takes the spotlight away from him will make him thrive I think the thing is I'm not sure QPR would sell to another championship team and there'll be interest from the Premier League as well I don't think he should go to a Premier League side though because I just don't think he's ready yet he as I say he has too many games where he does drift away and is practically invisible on the pitch really but if he were to go to the Premier League I think he'd be back in the Championship sooner rather than later uh, just because I don't think he's ready and could do with another year at Championship level to really um, just nail down how good he is as a player Uh, just quickly going back to the actual game from an arch perspective they had a a goal disallowed Todd Campwell uh, for offside and we, we've criticised the referees quite a few times this season, Justin. But I think this is the worst decision of the season. And we've had a few. But this, from an from a, a, a assistant referee perspective, if you're giving that as offside, you really re- need to reassess what, what on earth you think the offside rule is. Because that was <laughs> never offside in a million years. You're spot on. It's, it's, just, it's hard not to laugh at it now. It's really hard not to laugh at it because it's it's just incompetence again. I don't want to be sound too harsh because I'm I feel sorry for them now. It's getting to a point where I'm just feeling guilty that I'm having to say harsh things because they're getting so many decisions wrong. But you know, he, he was definitely on side. It does rival at the Angus Gun one against Watford, um, where he gets put, pushed into the the, uh, the goal from I think it was Saar who pushed him into the goal. That that's the worst decision for me this season, but this is this yeah, this this runs close. It was just an absolute clangor. Pookie has played it a square pass 
it was at a right angle, so I don't see how he Campbell could have been offside. But I, I just can't see how on earth the referee has got that wrong. It's amazing, and goes back to what you were saying at the weekend that there needs to be a serious serious reassessment of the standard of officiating in the championship and something needs to be done about it because we're, we're seeing a new worst decision almost every week this one was an absolute clanger uh, but Norwich this is just a point and they of course lost to Watford at the weekend so they're stuttering a bit aren't they after a very good run of form well this this is what I was saying it was a game that lacked real quality at times and the two goals in this game came from individual brilliance. You know, Cantwell running through, winning the penalty. Say Samuel winning the penalty for QPR. You know, two really good Maisie runs. They just lacked quality in the final third, and it's you know like we said about Ivan Tony. You know, at times they rely on Puky a lot, and Hugo is a Plan B option. Not really made a, uh, an impact. That's disappointing. It's. You know how 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 do you improve this Norwich side? Because collectively, you know, unless they bring players in and ship players out, I think that's the only way they improve. Because style of play, they create chances. They just at times don't put them away. I think Puki and Brandia are amongst them as the best players in the Championship, aren't they? The rest of the side, particularly defensively is where I've got my concerns. Uh, the left-back situation is something that I imagine will be re- addressed in January because they've only got Xavi Quintier at the moment and they've had Sorensen, who's a midfielder, I think, who's yeah. been filling in there at left-back for months now. And he's done a fairly decent job, in fairness to him, but I think they'll try to get in another left-back. I- I'm still not completely sold on... Uh, ben Gibson as a defender. I think Grant Handley's done better than I was expecting this season. Uh, Max Owens is just a quality youngster, isn't he? But they're still conceding quite a few chances for a side who are top of the championship at the moment. I think in terms of expected goals against, they're about mid-table when it comes to how good they are defensively. So that needs to be addressed. They might have to get another goalkeeper in as well because Michael McGovern's now injured. who's back <laughs> up to Krull and Krull... I'm not sure when he's back. I think he will be back in the new year. So maybe another goalkeeper as well. Swansea nil, Reading nil. Swansea on their new pitch after tearing up their diseased one, which looked like a crap snooker table. <laughs> uh, this game was a very frustrating one from a Swansea perspective because they should have won, really. Rafael Cabral had an amazing game, pulling off some worldy saves. Some of them, I thought, might have been for the camera, I will be honest. But either way, it was it was a superb performance from him and Swansea will be wondering how they didn't get three points from this game, Justin. It's always better to come away from a game and, you know, when, when a keeper's played as well as Raphael has and you just you just sort of go, fair enough, can we do much better than that? He's played a worldie, he's played a blinder, we move on to the next game. Because Swansea kept a clean sheet, Reading were fairly quiet um, going forwards. So it was a good performance from Swansea, had it not been for the inspirational Raphael. He was inspirational, incredibly <laughs> inspirational. Uh, but yeah, it, it's disappointing that they didn't get the three points. Uh, I, I thought Reading were actually not too bad going forwards, really, considering they've got a, f- a few of their big names missing, the likes of Zhao Meite. I don't think it was too bad a performance, really, against a very stubborn Swansea defence. So I, I think Padovic will be able to take some... Um, positives from the game as well. Uh, 
But yeah, I think it's a massive point for Reading, who are still hanging on to sixth place in the championship, <laughs> that final playoff pace. They're two points ahead of Stoke in seventh. Swansea are still third. Uh, right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Barnsley, Derby and Wickham. It's a little known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Justin Barnsley won again, this time beating Rotherham 2-1 and making it 10 wins out of 15 under Valerian Ishmael. Now, there was actually a bit of controversy about this game going ahead because Rotherham had their last two called off because of COVID. But Paul Warren said he was worried that if they called this game off as well, then they would have got fined. So they just went ahead with it. They had five confirmed cases of COVID, five long-term injuries, and only named six subs. But with all that being said, it was actually still quite a good performance from Rotherham, who gave Barnsley a pretty decent game despite ultimately losing. Yeah, definitely. I, I do agree. It is You do have to wonder that had Rotherham been at full strength, maybe they might have got something out of the game. But on the balance of playing, I thought Bosley did deserve the win. However, yeah, given given that yeah, Rotherham have had two weeks off, I can't remember the last time when Rotherham played. They didn't play they haven't played since Christmas. I know that. They haven't played over Christmas. Boxing Day was no. postponed and the week before as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's been yeah. quite a while. Exactly. So you can imagine cobwebs, you know, being being on the players, but you know, having it, you know, coming up against Barnsley, a team that are so relentless in their pressing, you know, having a two week break is probably the best thing, best thing for them in in in, in preparation of this game. Yeah, it, it was weird because I saw everything that was going on before the game, and then when I actually looked at the Rotherham team, I was like, oh. That's not actually that bad. Um, I think they had Matt Crooks missing Angus McDonald, two key players for Rotherham, but it's not the end of the world. So I'm I'm not sure if Paul Warren was maybe kind of exaggerating how much of an issue they had there. But either way, it was a very promising performance from Rotherham, although they have slipped into the relegation zone, especially with the two games in hands that they've still got to play. Uh, but Barnsley... Let's talk about Barnsley, Justin. We love talking about Barnsley on this show. Maybe a bit too much, but they are still marching up the table. Three points off the playoffs now, Justin. Three points. It is amazing. And sure, as we say, Rotherham gave them a bit more of a game than probably many people were expecting. But either way, it's a hard fought for victory from Barnsley. And they're still heading on a collision course for the top six. It's certainly going to be an interesting second half of the season as we see Barnsley rise higher in the table because coming up against teams that are up there with them, you want to see how they're going to they're going to pan out. But what this game, you know, 
told you know, the quality of the goals, for example, Corley Woodrow, he's got five and four against Rotherham. Um, it was such a, it was such a good, a well taken goal, and then Alex Mowat as well um, with his finish. You know, it's more of that, and you're getting into January where they've got an opportunity to strengthen. I, I can't see them regressing. I can only see them improving, which is a really scary thought. They, I think, some of the things that they are missing is perhaps, you know really good championship players who have had experience in the top six because that's the only thing that's going to let them down should they get there is they've got to bridge that gap in, into getting into the playoffs well you say you can't see them regressing it seems like the major hurdle that's immediately on the horizon is january because in fact ishmael has admitted that players will be leaving uh, in that in that window i think alex mauer will more than likely go considering his contract situation is um, is uh, still up in the air and his deal mm-hmm. runs out next <coughs> summer so I think they could potentially lose him and he is a massive player for them but as we said at the weekend they've got Herbie Kane who can still come into the side it's massive shoes to fill uh, when it's Alex Mauer but he's got potential to do it uh, and the the other thing is they need to get another striker because they still haven't really replaced Jacob Brown Connor Chaplin has struggled this season but if they manage to get that then it's hard to see, as you say, it's hard to see them not getting into the top six this season the way they're going. I, I will cry if this Barnsley, but this Barnsley, <laughs> this Barnsley team gets broken up. I will be devastated. I, I think I'll stop podcasting and, and stop watching football because it'll be a travesty. It'll be a complete travesty. Justin, don't make promises like that because there'll be, <laughs> there'll be people who will either be celebrating or be very <laughs> disappointed with that news. Um, Derby won 4-0 away at Birmingham. The Rams were 3-0 up after 25 minutes. Uh, the thing is, it could have been more after those 25 minutes because Birmingham was so bad. They, they were parting like the Red Sea at times. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Derby because it was a, a very good performance and we'll give them credit in just a sec. But I think... 60 to 70 percent of this performance was down to Birmingham being so so poor that they, they were it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a side in the championship this season they were so so bad weren't they they, they were they, they looked labored they looked slow they looked they looked like they couldn't cope with the intensity that Derby were playing at and as you say we'll go on to Derby in, in a moment but the way Birmingham played was I generally one of the worst performances I've seen this season it was yeah. scarily bad given that Karanka's more of a defensively minded coach they've conceded eight goals in the last two home games that's not it's not good it's really not good and they've conceded 18 at home as well this season which is the most in the league it's the, it's a downward spiral and I said last week that they're getting into an uncomfortable position I think now they are in an uncomfortable position one point for five games it's a very uncomfortable position. And the thing is, as we were just saying, teams below them are picking up points, including Derby. I, I said before, I, I think they could just end up finishing around 17th this season. But the way they're going at the moment, they're getting dragged into it. It's a very worrying time to be a Birmingham City fan. Uh, one of the performances that was worrying was Neil Etheridge, who had a mare again. Uh, he dropped a corner I can't remember which goal it was, uh, but he dropped one yeah, of the first uh, goal. First goal dropped yeah. one of the corners, and he did it. He did exactly the same thing. What two weeks ago, didn't he? Where mm-hmm. it was a comfortable cross that came in, and he's just spilled it, and it's been put in the back of the net. Uh, apparently, he was blaming the floodlights, which I think is a 
pretty pathetic excuse when you're a professional footballer. I don't know if you agree with me on that. It's a conspiracy theory, isn't it? But <laughs> I, I, I raised this question yes, um, in the Stoke Forest game. Where's the yellow ball? Would he have seen the yellow ball? It's a white ball, so it's, it's going to get lost in the floodlights at some point. Would he have seen a yellow ball? It's a very interesting point. We'll have to do studies on this to really mm. see if it does improve things. But either way, it's a clangor of a mistake and almost sums up the whole Birmingham performance, really. Uh, but let's talk about Derby, Justin, because it was a fantastic performance. It was the pinnacle of the Wayne Rooney era so far because they were absolutely phenomenal, weren't they? No, there's hardly any words to describe how, how good they were. It was the quickest derby I've scored three since beating Brighton in December 2014 as well. So that tells you how long it's been since derby were as dominant as they have been. That was, that was the pinnacle of derby's attack under Steve McLaren, for example. Um, but every every player stepped up and in a relentless schedule that it's been, the intensity that derby played at, as I said, Birmingham could not cope. Um, one player I want to touch on as well is, is Lou Sibley, which uh, I thought he was ridiculously good he's not played as often as he would have liked by the 20th minute he had six touches just six touches which is as many as Hogan had in the whole half by the way and um, three of those touches have been shots <laughs> um, but everything is now starting to be knitted together for Derby and with January coming and some tidy additions they should get better the players I wanted to highlight were the Polish Rams Christian Bielik, Kamal Yozviak. Yeah. We've mentioned Bielik before. He is he has come back into this side and is just dominating games. I, I've not seen a player come back from such a serious injury like this and instantly change a side as much as Christian Bielik has. But Yozviak as well. Yeah. He, he he started off his career at Derby and he didn't really convince many people, did he? He looked a bit lost in the championship and. I think quite a few Derby fans were looking at this lad. Obviously, not many people knew about him before. And were like, oh God, what have we signed here? Because he, he was pretty anonymous throughout the first, what, 10 games of the season? Yeah. First 10 games that he played anyway. And has not really had many positive moments. But in the last two to three games, he has really stepped up. And here, he was amazing. He, he started to show the player that... We were that derby were expecting to sign, and the cross for Jason Knight's goal was ah oh, phenomenal. There have been some amazing crosses this season, but this one was superb. And if he keeps going at the rate that he has improved from the past few games, then derby have got a real player on their hands. They really, really have, and they need it as well because the one thing they've struggled with this season is going forwards, hasn't it? He looks a real player all of a sudden. Uh, at the Bet365 Stadium, Stoke and Forest drew one all. Although the highlight of the game was the fog in the second half, which made the game almost completely unwatchable. There was one moment where a Stoke corner was being taken and it was on the far side of the pitch. I genuinely could not see anything. It was... I've never seen anything like it. It was uh, it was amazing. I've really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> but um, speaking of corners, Jordan Thompson scored directly from a corner. Uh, who, who were you blaming there, Justin? Because oh. it immediately seemed like Bree Samba was to blame. But I, I start when I saw the replays, I thought Lewis Graben needed to take some of the blame for that after ducking out the way. It's Graben all day. I've been looking forward to this. It's Graben all day and. I've got to lay into him so hard here. He's 33. He's an experienced championship forward. Why doesn't he head it away? He's on. He's in that area for a reason. It's his job that if any ball comes in there, it's his job to get it 
to, 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 to knock it out. Every I think every striker in the championship that's their role, mm. uh, and he's let his team down. There's no simple, there's no other way around it. He's let his team down. And if anyone if anyone wants to watch it back, watch Joe Wall's reaction to it, because he lays into Lewis Grabben. He knows well, he's, he, he's he's cocked up. He's, he lays into him. It's not Samba's fault. No way. No, but it, it didn't look great initially from the first viewing for Samba. Yeah. Uh, Joe Allen started his first game for Stoke since March, which is a massive boost, didn't he? Because if he gets back to full fitness, then he could be a real player at this level, couldn't he? He's, he's such an underrated player. I think even coming down from the Premier League, he was fairly underrated. Uh, yeah, he was. I think Stoke were over-reliant on him at times as well, but from a box-to-box perspective, the energy that Stoke need in midfield and getting bodies in the box especially because Tyrese Campbell's injured is, is going to be so important going forward for Stoke and it was quite a bad injury as well so coming back from I think he ruptured his Achilles from last March is mm. is testament to his fitness levels as well because it's not a, it's not an easy injury to come back from not at all all of a sudden Stoke look like they've got a bit of a beefy squad because they've got loads of centre midfielders all of a sudden they've got mm-hmm. plenty of depth at both fullback areas and in defence as well the only issue is up front because losing yeah. Tyrese Campbell massive blow he's now out for the season <laughs> Stephen Fletcher has picked up another injury problem I'm not sure if he'll be back soon or not but they, they could just do with maybe another striker in January if they get that then they're pretty sorted Justin Wickham, they won! Finally, their third win of the season, beating Cardiff 2-1. I think we'll have plenty to say on Cardiff. But first off, let's give Wickham some praise because this was a very well-organised win, wasn't it? They, they were... Uh, they dominated the game at times. The chances they had were better than Cardiff's chances. And they, they did things that they hadn't done in recent games, which was cut teams out I'm trying to think of this, this saying but completely eradicate any any issue and obviously they get the second goal as well it was a well taken goal from David Wheeler they lined up a bit differently it was a, it was a, it was a 4-3-3 so they had a bit more potency going forward um, and, it, and it showed and they were the more dangerous they were more dangerous than Cardiff in the box as well so that's testament to them because as we know Cardiff are the set piece gods in the championship so to, to, to score the first especially from a set piece Shows that they have they have quality and they do have quality. You know we've said week by week that they've been quite unfortunate with some of the decisions they've had from referees and officials. So for them to get this win, could 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 I see them putting a run together potentially? You know it's, it's a good time to put a run together um, with the January transfer window coming up. So it's a big maybe, but nonetheless it's a, it's a deserved win. They've been they've not been terrible, you know like we thought. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a big win and hopefully. They can they can get going. They've got a very kind run of fixtures in January coming up. QPR Wednesday amongst them, Birmingham as well. So if they were going to put together a run of form, now is the time. Uh, we keep saying this, but considering teams around them, or in this case with Wickham being bottom of the table above them, then they needed to get points on the board. Otherwise, they would have looked a bit cut adrift at the bottom of the table. So massive, massive three points. Uh, Cardiff, Justin. Uh, what can we say? Because <laughs> the pressure is building on Neil Harris. His job is looking like it's in serious jeopardy. He was sent to the stands in this game as well, which doesn't help things. But it's not looking good for old Neil, is it? Yeah, they dropped down to 15th and the, the four on the trot, the four games they won on the trot you thought they might have turned a corner but they've just regressed back into that 
team where they're defending poorly. Again, as I said, they conceded from set piece, conceded the first goal. It weren't particularly great going forward. I know Kiefer Moore was injured, but there's enough quality in that team to be putting teams away. They spent a lot of money, which is why I think Neil Harris is under more pressure than than most teams that are down there. You look at Millwall, Blackburn, um, you know, they're teams that are down there with them. Oh, sorry, I say down there in mid, sort of lower mid-table with them. Um, and they they look really poor. They do look really poor, and it's it's not what you want to see, say, or hear about Cardiff because at one point they looked like they, they, you know, it was a good fit for Harris and Cardiff. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. When they did have that run of form, as you said, it did look like they turned a corner, and then they had uh, three losses in four games very recently. But I was saying at the weekend. They were against the likes of Brentford, Swansea and Norwich, I think, off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So you kind of look, stand, take a step back and think to yourself, OK, that's three teams, three pretty decent teams at this level. Yeah. But when you lose to Wickham, no disrespect to Wickham, but that's when eyebrows start being raised and you start to think to yourself, maybe it's time for a change because this Cardiff side should be doing a lot better. 15th in the table is not great when they should be challenging for the playoffs this season at the very least uh, they've had Kiefer Moore out injured which doesn't help things but they should be doing better Luton 2 Bristol City 1 Kin and Dewsbury Hall getting the winner from 25 yards out Justin he is a real player <laughs> I am a massive fan of his uh, I think I mentioned him not too long ago and since then Luton have had a, a pretty tepid run of form but he is he's a real talent i can tell you that he's on, <laughs> he's on loan from leicester i, I just think it, it surprises me that he's gone to luton because really he, maybe he should be playing in the premier league because he's that good he is so so good in every game that i've seen in the season he's been luton's best player he's been running the midfield he's got energy to run back and forth he's just the all-round midfielder and he's still 22-23 I think he is he's got a deal at Leicester until 2024 so they clearly see something in him which as I say just makes me surprised that he has dropped down to a looted side who were expected to be fighting relegation in the championship it's worth pointing out it's a superb signing yeah I think you struggling to get your words out of there just tells you how how much you've been impressed by him and he is a Mm. good player He's 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 a player he was on loan at Blackpool last season did, did fairly well um, and obviously going into Luton this season was probably it was an opportunity for him to showcase what he can do at championship level whether or not you know we saw with Conor Gallagher last season got recalled from Charlton went to Swansea again improved slightly differently so could Leicester do the same thing in putting him in a team that's competing towards getting into the top six potentially wouldn't be a bad replacement for Alex Mowat should, should he leave Barnsley um, obviously just speculating now but he is a very good player. He's a very good talent physically. I think he's six foot, six foot one. He's left left footed. He's relentless. His goal, you know, he pressed the Bristol City midfield, won it, won the ball back, drove into space, and 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 it was a really good finish from twenty five yards out. It wasn't a screamer by any by any means. He picked his he picked his. Um, it was a controlled finish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a controlled finish, and um, he's, he is a good player, and he's, he's one that is. I think he would improve under Nathan Jones because. Nathan Jones brings that out of players. He does. It's one of a long line of Leicester youngsters who are doing really well at the moment. Harvey Barnes, uh, Luke Thomas, Keenan Dewsby Hall is the next one. And as I say, I think he'll be right back in the thick of it with the Leicester first team. 
at some point in the near future. But Bristol City's form is becoming a bit troubling, isn't it? Four losses in five games now, and patience is starting to wear with old Dean Holden. Yeah, I still feel quite sorry for him because he's lost key players. He's lost pretty much majority of his key players in, in his side. And he... The, the, the thing that you get with an inexperienced manager, because he is an inexperienced manager compared to a lot of managers in the division, is he's not adjusted quickly enough to those injuries. You look at Michael O'Neill, who completely stripped things back for Stoke. He's an experienced manager, completely stripped things back, to, back for Stoke, and they were still getting results, whereas Bristol City haven't adapted to the changes in their in their team. And unfortunately, it's letting them down. For me, they just need to get back to basics, because when the good players do come back when the first team players do come back it's a completely different side absolutely let's give Luton some praise because I realised we just spoke about Kieran Kieran and Dewsbury Hall and they just completely (laughs) moved on like it was just him who won the game Uh, but yeah it was a really well organised win from uh, Nathan Jones and they've been on a sticky runner from themselves that was their first win in four games so well done to all involved at Luton Uh, a double from defender Naby Sarr of all people gave Huddersfield a 2-1 win over Blackburn how well taken was that second goal by Sarr it was amazing do you you know what it had me thinking if he had the same composure when he had the ball if he has the ball at his feet at the back then he had the ball uh, at his feet up front then he wouldn't make as nearly as many mistakes as he does with the ball at his feet at the back He's not, that, he's, hang on, he's not that. He's not. He's not that bad with the ball at his feet. He makes the odd clanger here and there, but you kind of expect that when you are a ball playing defender. But I, let, let's not take anything away from what was a fantastic finish, Justin. If, if for example, you as a Derby fan, if Colin Cousin Richards finished like that, you'd be saying, "Oh, what a finish! Control it with your right foot, ping it into the top hand corner with a, your left foot." That is a typical striker's goal. Well then, Naby Sarr, prove to me that it's not a fluke. Do it again next week. (laughs) The challenge has been (laughs) laid down by Justin. Uh, But a really good win for Huddersfield, wasn't it? Against the Blackburn side, who have been out of form recently, but are, as we all know, the highest scorers in the championship. But they are struggling, aren't they? One win in seven now for Tony Mowbray's side. What do you think is going wrong there, Justin? I honestly, it's it's hard to say. Adam Armstrong's been pinned back to the left hand side again to make way for Sam Gallagher, which you know Adam Armstrong thrives off opportunities, as we know. He takes a lot of shots, has a lot of chances. So him moving to the left from the central position might limit that a little bit. He did create the goal, but he's not nearly as much of a threat going forward as he would be on the left as he is centrally. But I just think teams have probably wised up to Blackburn a little bit. They'll sit a little bit deeper so they can't play balls in behind. So they just need to find a way to... Obviously, Bradley Dack coming into it, so coming back into the team, he's going to get on the ball a lot more and they're going to be a different outfit going forward because he can drop into spaces that no other player in that Blackburn team can do, has, has got the ability to do. So I think... Getting Bradley Dak back is going to help, but I just think teams have wised up to, to Blackburn a little bit. I think it's more down to the, the goal scoring. It's just dried up, really, because they're still creating plenty of chances. It's just not being put away. Uh, Adam Armstrong, earlier in the season, as, we, as we've documented plenty of times, was scoring goals for fun, but he was never going to keep up his rate of scoring one every game. That, that was just never going to happen. So you were looking at the rest of the Blackburn team to say, 
who will, who's going to step up to fill in with the goals when Adam Armstrong isn't scoring. And at the time, I thought Ben Brereton would do it, but he's been missing through injury. Um, and they're really struggling to find someone else to really do it at the moment. It needs to be addressed soon. Hopefully, Bradley Dack will be able to help because he's got... He's always got his goal-scoring boots on, hasn't he? He's a fantastic goal-scorer at this level. Uh, but he's just come back from a serious injury, so it's going to take some time for him to really get back up to full fitness. In, otherwise, you, you're looking at the likes of Sam Gallagher uh, to really step up to the plate, aren't you? Because if they're not doing that, then Blackburn, their playoff push is going to drift, a very, 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 drift away very quickly. I mean, the 14th now, it's not too far off the top six, but the gap's growing at an alarming rate uh, Preston suddenly have three wins in a row after beating Coventry 2-0 I don't want to incur the wrath of Alex Neal but when you talk about unconvincing runs of form then this is probably it because <laughs> Coventry's defending was questionable at times just just after I praised their defence at the weekend cheers guys uh, they got caught in possession for the first one and then I had no idea what was going on for the second goal the goal mouth scramble which included Coventry's Dom Hyam kicking the ball at his own goalkeeper for some reason it, it was questionable defending to say the very least but fair play three wins in three for Alex Neal it's also three clean sheets in a row as well which considering that they haven't been nearly as good defensively as they have been last season and the season before it's, it's, it's an important run of games and whether you're playing well or not getting a run of games and a run of wins together it lifts them up the table like for example would we have envisioned Preston being above Blackburn and Cardiff six, six, seven weeks ago. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's, it's a big win and it's a big, big run of wins that no matter how unconvincing is lifting them up the table and it's probably lifted the pressure off Alex Neal a little bit. In fairness, they have been pretty decent defensively uh, in this game, as you mentioned. They shut down Coventry a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was. They shut down Bristol City as well. Yeah. The Derby game at the weekend, you can't really claim that as shutting them down because they were down to 10 men for half the game but fair play it's three wins and that's all you can really say isn't it and the final game of the midweek games would have been Millwall versus Watford but that was postponed because of Covid uh, I'm not sure if the Millwall game is going ahead this weekend there's been, a, so. there's been a bit of talk about it potentially being postponed again but we'll have to wait and see on that one right let's finish off with who knows wins Justin this is our league where you can win money by correctly predicting the results of championship games it's really easy to do just download the who knows wins app Join our league. Guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. So why the hell wouldn't you join? Right, so we'll start off with the first game, Justin, which is on New Year's Day. That's Sheffield Wednesday versus Derby. Which way are you going? I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for Derby. I'm convinced with the <laughs> Polish Rams. Uh, Birmingham Blackburn. Uh, Blackburn. Uh, I'll go draw. Brentford, Bristol City. Brentford. Brentford for me. Huddersfield, Reading. We'll draw. I'll go Huddersfield. Depends if Carlos Corbrand's wearing his chinos or not. Uh, mm. Luton, QPR. Um, Luton. Uh, draw, draw. Oh, okay. Luton for me. Millwall, Coventry. Well, if that game goes ahead. Yeah. Millwall. Asterix against that. I'll go <laughs> draw. Norwich, Barnsley. Barnsley. Really? Wow, yes. okay. I'll go draw. Uh, Preston Forest. Ooh. 
I've got to say that's going to be a draw. I fancy Forest. I don't know why. Something's just telling me Forest mm. there. Rotherham, Cardiff. Ah, uh, Rotherham. I'll go draw. Swansea, Watford. This is a really hard set of games to judge this week. Swansea, Swansea, Watford, Swansea. I want to say draw again, but I've said draw a lot. <laughs> uh, I'll go Watford, you know. Wickham Borough. Borough. I'll go draw. Stoke Bournemouth. Uh, oh, Stoke. I'll go Bournemouth. Right, that's who knows wins. So make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. Uh, and that's pretty much it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening as always. As I say, this is the final episode of 2020. It's been a roller coaster. 2020 but let me just take this opportunity to thank you all for sticking with us throughout the year it's been a tough one for many different reasons but um, we have put out a lot of content this year um, more than I was expecting to be Mm. quite honest I didn't realize there'd be (laughs) as many midweek games but it's been good fun hasn't it Justin I've as always I, I love making this podcast I know you're exactly the same so when the hard work that we put in gets rewarded at the end of it. It's always really nice to see, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's Top all you got to say. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, put out, words. I put out <laughs> a nice heartfelt message and you say, yes, that is nice. Great. Thanks for that, Justin. But more importantly, thank you for listening to us listeners throughout 2020. Here's to another enjoyable 2021 and we'll look forward to seeing you on the other side. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.